Good morning. Today is week three of our preaching series. So going back, the first week we talked about the liturgy of the word and the dignity of the mass and how we can prepare ourselves to hear God's word, which ultimately prepares ourselves to, to experience Jesus and encounter him at mass. And then last week, Father Miguel talked about how the mass is a sacrifice and how we can join our lives with that perfect sacrifice to the Father. And so this morning, I wanna talk about mass as a sacred banquet and more specifically about receiving Holy Communion. So as Christians, we know that Jesus institutes the Eucharist at the Last Supper, which is a sacred Passover meal. Jesus reinterprets the entire feast in terms of himself and forms a new covenant with us. He gives us his body and blood. He says, do this in memory of me. The church talks about how this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the sacrifice of the Eucharist in, in Holy Communion ultimately are intimately tied. This is what the church says. The mass is at the same time, and this is in the catechism, the mass is at the same time and inseparably the sacrificial memorial in which the sacrifice of the Christ of the cross is perpetuated and the sacred banquet of communion with the Lord's body and blood. But the celebration of the Eucharistic sacrifice is wholly directed toward the intimate union of the faithful with Christ through communion. To receive communion is to receive Christ himself who has offered himself for us. So this right here is the altar of sacrifice, but it's also the table of the Lord. What happens on the altar is ultimately directed toward being the table at which we, are com we have communion with Jesus in Holy Communion. So after the Our Father and the sign of peace, we get into what's called the Agnus Day, which is the Lamb of God. We sing or we say, depending on the mass, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. In fact, we say that three times. And the last time we say, grant us peace. What the church is showing us at this very moment is that Jesus, who is the sacrificial lamb, who is the one who takes away the sins of the world, that our disposition as we approach Holy Communion is one of asking for mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. In other words, we should never take Holy Communion lightly. We come begging for the mercy of Jesus who suffered for us, who was pierced for us. And right before we get into the, uh, the communion rite, there's that special moment where the priest holds up the host over the chalice and says, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. To behold the Lamb of God. This moment in many ways should cause us to be stopped in our tracks, that we are about to receive the Lamb of God himself. So when I hold that up, and sometimes I pause, I want you to gaze upon him. He's the one that takes away the sins of the world. Behold him. And then there's this invitation. He said, blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb, or yeah, to the supper of the Lamb. In the New Testament and in the book of Revelation, Heaven is revealed to us as a sacred wedding feast that all of us are invited to. And in this wedding feast, the wedding feast of the lamb, the lamb is revealed as the, the bridegroom, right? He's revealed to us as the one who's going to cause us to be in union with God. In other words, if Jesus is the bridegroom, we are the bride, right? So as we receive Holy Communion, 
We're participating in a mystical way in that union with God forever in heaven. And we are being called to come forward to receive Christ, our bridegroom, to be one with him. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Our response is very indicative, too, of how it is that we're supposed to approach Holy Communion. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. These are the words of the centurion, the Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and says, please heal my servant. And Jesus says, I will come. And he basically says, I will come. He says, Lord, no, I'm, un, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my servant shall be healed. He says, I'm a man of an under authority and I have people who report to me. I say, go, they go. I say, come, they come. All you have to do is say the word. And Jesus' response essentially was, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Go and let it be done for you as you have believed. The reason why the church has this the moment before we receive Holy Communion is that it's inviting us to have the kind of faith that the centurion had. The faith that says, I'm unworthy that you come under my roof, into my body. I'm totally unworthy, but all you have to do is say the word and my soul can be healed. That if we approach Jesus with great faith, great things can happen in our souls. But when we don't approach Jesus in Holy Communion with great faith, we don't expect anything to happen. We don't believe that Jesus can do something in our lives, then we're probably not going to experience great things happening. So this is the right before the communion rite. But be, before I get to the communion rite, I wanna talk about a few points regarding our preparation as we approach the altar. And for many of you, these are just gonna be reminders. Number one, because Holy Communion is a sign of unity with Jesus and his church, we need to have a fundamental unity with Jesus and his church in order to receive Holy Communion. And there's two forms of unity. And the first is unity of mind. Holy Communion is for those who have the same belief as the church. In other words, we believe that everything that God has revealed to us in the church. So Holy Communion is for Catholics who believe everything the church teaches to be believed. And this is something that Father Joe and I have talked about often as to why non-Catholics can't receive Holy Communion. When we receive Holy Communion, we say amen, with the Hebrew word which means so be it, or I believe. And it's not just, I believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. It's, I believe everything the church teaches. I believe that God has revealed himself to us in and through his bride, the church. And I'm assenting to the belief of the church. We also must have unity of heart. That is, we can't be in a state of rejection of God when we receive him. We have to be in a basic state of accepting and, and loving him. And that means concretely, if we're in a state of mortal sin, we should not be approaching Holy Communion. We must first go to confession in order to receive. This doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, but it means that if we're conscious of grave sin, we must go to confession in order to receive him. The next thing is the Eucharistic fast. The church teaches that we must fast one hour before receiving Holy Communion, with the exception of water and medicine. Some of you are old enough to remember when the church had a much longer rule for, uh, for fasting. It was three hours. And then before that, it was you couldn't eat from, the, uh, from midnight the day before, which is one of the reasons why the early masses were very popular. 
This rule applies for those who are of age to receive Holy Communion up to about 60 years old, and it certainly doesn't apply for those who are sick or those who are caring for the sick. But the reason why this is important is that the church is having us withdraw from food and water, or food and drink, so as to stir up in us a hunger for Jesus. Then we experience the hunger pains for not having eaten, we should remember that we should hunger for Jesus in his body and blood, that we can receive him with an open heart. Now, there are two legitimate ways to receive Holy Communion, on the tongue and on the hand. Up until the ninth century, the whole church practiced communion on the hand. And then after there were controversies regarding the belief in the Eucharist, around the, the 10th and 11th century, there was an increased reverence for the Blessed Sacrament in such a way that communion in the hand completely disappeared in the 11th century. And it's been, com communion on the tongue has been the universal practice of the church until very recently. So from the 11th century until around the 1970s and the 1980s. In 1969, Pope St. Pius VI wrote, a, Pope St. Paul VI wrote a document responding to the bishops of the, of, the, of the church requesting for communion in the hand to be restored. And his response was no. And the reason is, is he, he cited three different dangers or, um, that might happen, or he was warning of certain dangers that, would, that might occur if we were to return to receiving on the hand. He named three. The first one, he was concerned about loss of reverence for the Blessed Sacrament. Because he says, receiving on the tongue shows that it is not ordinary bread and wine that we are receiving. That this is something special, right? And he said that receiving on the tongue ensures more effectively that Holy Communion is distributed with proper respect, decorum, and dignity. So he was concerned that if we were to have communion on the hand, people would lose their reverence for the Blessed Sacrament. The second thing he says, he was concerned about profanation. It means people taking Jesus and not receiving him, but doing something else with him. This has happened in this church. Sometimes I find the Blessed Sacrament in the pew, or I find a host out there. Sometimes we, we, the church recognizes there are people who do not love Jesus and would love to take him and to desecrate him. And this happens with Satanists. And so the Pope was concerned that if we gave out communion in the hand, this might happen more often, right? It's a lot less likely someone's gonna receive Jesus on their tongue and then pull him out to profane him. And finally, he was concerned that communion in the hand would not enable the church to be diligent and careful about the fragments of consecrated bread that might fall to the ground. So these were the concerns of the Holy Father. And as you know, historically, eventually the Holy Father did allow the faithful to receive on the hand. And since the church, and this is important, had a pr the practice all the way up into the 11th century of receiving on the hand, it is very possible to receive on the hand with great reverence. And this is important. Listen to St. John Damascene, who is a saint and a doctor of the church writing in the eighth century. This is what he says about receiving on the hand. With all fear and a pure conscience and certain faith, let us draw near and it will assuredly be to us as we believe doubting nothing. Let us draw near to it with an ardent desire and with our hands held in the form of a cross. Right? That was the ancient way of, of receiving. Your hands would be in the form of a cross. He says, let us receive the body of the crucified one and let us apply our eyes and lips and brows and partake of the divine coal that we may be inflamed and deified by the participation in the divine fire. 
And so the church's official teaching is that each communicant can choose to receive on the tongue or on the hand. And therefore, because the church allows receiving in both forms, one cannot as a Catholic say that it is sinful or, intent, or objectively irreverent for one to receive in one way or another. It's true that we need to approach Holy Communion with great reverence, but that reverence must primarily be internally and that reverence must be expressed internally. We need to guard against the common temptation that strikes against Christianity ever from the beginning is to substitute external observance for interior in reverence of the heart. That is to pretend that somehow because I'm being externally reverent, that means that I'm internally being reverent. On the opposite extreme, we need to also guard against the temptation to say well, it was all about the heart and what I do with my body doesn't really matter. That's not true. We have to express what's going on interiorly in our body, which is one of the reasons why we have specific postures at mass to express our due reverence to Jesus in Holy Communion. So after the priest and the deacon receive and the extraordinary ministers receive, we now have the communion line. Now in the communion line, as you get into line, it's a time of focused preparation to receive Jesus in the, in the blessed sacrament. It's for us to be aware that we're approaching the throne of grace, the one who died for us, the very presence of God himself. And therefore, it's not a time to be waving to your friends, not a time to be shaking hands with other people. Now, certainly I'm not saying we shouldn't be human. When someone smiles at you, that's okay to smile. But the reality is, is that I think sometimes we can forget about the grandeur of the mystery that we're approaching as we're in line for Holy Communion. And so for the distribution of Holy Communion, we have two different ways that we do it here at St. Pat's. Uh, since the pandemic, as you've noticed, we have these kneelers out here. And the primary reason for the kneelers initially was that people needed to be still so that I didn't put my hand on their tongue. We were trying to prevent there to be a spread of the virus before we realized it didn't spread very easily that way. And we, we were sanitizing our hands every time. And so what happened was people were, when, you're, when someone's standing receiving on the tongue, they're not necessarily still. Sometimes they're like moving around. It's like a moving target for me, right? And so what we did was we're gonna have people kneel when they receive on the tongue, right? That's the way that the church has done it for 900 years. So we're gonna have people kneel, right? So we had people kneel to receive on the tongue. What you didn't see in the renovation um, images and the, in the, in the renderings was we're gonna have kneelers here, which are gonna match the back rarados. And these kneelers are gonna be a little bit wider so that we can maybe fit more than one person on them, but they're gonna be in the front and on the side for those who wish to receive on the tongue. But if you want to receive in the tongue, I'm asking you to please kneel, okay? And if you can't kneel, that's okay. We can still give you communion on the, on the tongue. But my encouragement is that you come forward is not to rush onto the kneeler. Sometimes I see people like rushing up to the kneeler and they're like, they're, I, I want this to be a, a time of peace and a time of just gentle reception of God. And that means that when you receive communion, all I want you to do if you're receiving in the tongue is to tilt your head back a little bit and stick your tongue out in a calm, gentle way, okay? I don't want you to do that really, like the really pointy tongue that moves around, right? You know, we all can do that with our tongue. That is very difficult to give communion on someone's pointy tongue. It's for multiple reasons. One, it's, it actually causes us maybe to drop Jesus, and it's also not as, as sticky. 
right? So just be, be relaxed and give, just give your tongue out a little bit, okay? You don't have to stick it out as far as you can. Just open your mouth and stick it out a little bit, okay? Um, and I also encourage you not to lunge toward the Blessed Sacrament, not to move your head. You know, it's like a plane landing. We don't need the runway to move. <laughs> That's not, I don't mean that to be irreverent. I really don't. I mean that by, there are some people who lunge toward the Blessed Sacrament. We have one gentleman here who lunges often and he licks my hands almost every time. <laughs> um, so please just receive uh, and just be still. And then finally, when you're done, you can do the sign of the cross and return to your pew. If you're receiving on the hand, I want to encourage you that before you come up for the, in the line, when the person in front of you is receiving communion, you should be doing a profound bow. Because if you're not going to be kneeling, you should do a profound bow that you're approaching Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. When you come forward, please make sure your hands are clean. Uh, the second thing is, is make sure that we have on your hands, or in your hands, one hand over the other. So if you receive on the, on the hand more often, I want you to put your hands up right now, put one hand on top of the other. And notice they should be in the form of a cross or maybe an X. Okay, so something like this, right? Some people do this whole basket thing and other people do this like cave or something or some sort of like, like just, just have it straight. Remember, like the early church, make sure that there is, uh, there's a cross there. And it's important for you not to tilt your hand one way or the other. A lot of times when the Blessed Sacrament falls, it's because people have their hands like this or they're, or they're trying to like rush, but like have your hands flat and so that the, the, the minister can place Jesus on your hand. Please do not grab Jesus out of the hand of the minister. I actually think that's quite irreverent. We're here receiving Jesus as a gift. Do not grasp at Jesus and do not have your hand. I see some people, they have one hand like this and they, they grab Jesus like that. Just please have one hand over the other. After you receive Holy Communion, I want to encourage you to remember that this is an incredibly sacred time with you and Jesus. The bridegroom has given himself to you, the bride. It's a prayer, of, it's a time of uh, profound adoration, praise and thanksgiving, and even deep supplication. Think about it this way. If in Holy Communion, Jesus is giving himself to you completely holding nothing back, and you're invited to give yourself to him holding nothing back, the only real analogy that comes close to the profundity of this moment is the marital act between a husband and a wife. Be attentive to your beloved. Be attentive to one who comes to love you. Be present to him who's present to you. Resist the temptation to get up and to leave early. Or resist the temptation to look around and see what, what other people are doing. Close your eyes and pray to him. Or if there's a, there's a song on that helps you to lift your heart and joy to praise God, sing with all of your heart. Do not take this moment lightly. I have to be honest, as a priest, it's difficult for me to see people leave right after Holy Communion. And sometimes you may see me standing out here, uh, you know, after or during a mass is happening, waiting for Father Miguel's long masses to end. Uh, I'm just standing out here, right? And sometimes I see people leaving before even the, the final prayer, before the final blessing. And to be clear, the mass ends when the deacon says the mass has ended or go in peace glorifying the Lord by your life. Technically, you don't need to stay for the final closing hymn. I think it was a good idea to do that, but, but my encouragement is not to leave before that. So sometimes I'm standing out here and I see people leaving early. And recently, about three weeks ago, 
I was standing out here and a couple was leaving early and I just looked at him and I smiled and said, why are you leaving early? The whole point is it's not a gotcha moment for me. I'm not looking to shame anyone. I said, why are you leaving early? And he looks at me, he's like, well, we have company coming over. We need to get home. And I immediately said, don't you realize that you have Jesus's company right now? And he looks at me and he knew at that moment that he had forgotten about the greatness of the mystery of Holy Communion. So I get it in terms of scheduling things after mass. I get that sometimes there's company, there's family, there's restaurants and that we might wanna get out of the parking lot fast so that we don't have to wait. But I wanna encourage you not to book your Sunday so tight that you cannot spend time with your beloved. This is the number one reason why I think that we, we don't receive much is because we're not attentive to him. It's important for us to recognize that those minutes after communion, Jesus is inside of us and he longs to love us. So allow yourself to be loved by him. So regardless of how you feel at mass, receiving Holy Communion is the most holy thing that you can do in your life. And so I wanna end with this quote from St. John Vianney who is the patron of parish priests. He says, if one could understand all the blessings contained in Holy Communion, nothing else would content the heart of man. The miser would no longer run after his treasures, nor the ambitious after glory. Everyone would shake the dust of earth from their feet and would fly towards heaven. <laughs>